everyone. Thanks for checking out the Citizens Podcast. We are the high school student ministry at Maranatha Bible Church, and we meet on Sundays at 11 a.m. in the student wing. If you enjoy this podcast, we would love it if you posted it on your Instagram story and tag at NBC Citizens. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy. That is our prayer that Jesus is at the center of our life. Father, I pray that everyone in this room that have been singing this song, that it's not just some words that we just throw into the air, but that we actually mean that, that we don't care about anything in this world, that it doesn't matter so long as we have you, Lord, that you are at the center of our life and in such a way, Lord, that we will devote ourselves to you solely and not to the things of this world. We praise you, Lord. We pray, Father, as we are about to open your word, that you will speak to us and that we will be challenged by the things that you want us to learn today, Lord. We pray this in your name. Amen. You guys may be seated. Thank you, guys. Jeff, I'll just put it here. I mean, you can come get it if you want it, Jeff. All right. So, for those of you that were not here last week, we started our new series on the book of Hosea. And uh, it is a very, I mean, it's one of my favorite books in the Bible because I think it has one of the most bizarre but also crazy stories that you can find. And in it, throughout the book of uh, Hosea, you really get to sense God's love for his people. And so I think that it's very good for us as we find ourselves uh, living life and figuring out what to do and how to live life. It is a good reminder for us to know how God loves us. And we get to see that picture clearly in the book of Hosea. Uh, now, I don't know how many of you guys did it, but I challenged you last week that if you really want to get something out of this series, it will be for your benefit to dedicate a chapter a day so that you can learn and see all, everything that is happening in the book. Because it is such a long book, or not so long, it's only 14 chapters, chapters but because it is 14 chapters, I didn't want to go with every single chapter when it comes to the series. Instead, we're looking at we're looking like an overview of what's going on. And so that's why the challenge of you to dedicate a time a day for you to read one chapter. So if you started last week, you should be on chapter 7 today or chapter 8. I can't remember. I can't do the math. But nonetheless, uh, you should be uh, uh, um, around those two chapters. And, and by that point, you would have gotten a great picture of God's love and God's story. If you were not here last week, we shared the story of how God was trying to make a point to the nation of Israel. This great nation that he raised, that he promised Abraham, that said to him, hey, out of you, I'm going to make this great nation my people. And I'm going to use you to demonstrate to the entire world that I am an almighty, powerful, and holy God. And then as the nation of Israel developed, as the story develops with the nation of Israel, we get to hear how rebellious they were against God. How over and over they did, they did what opposed God. And because of that, God is going to do different things. He's going to use different circumstances, different struggles to remind them again of who he was and what they were called to be. But not, none of those things kept them from, again, doing what was evil in front of God. So in the book of Hosea, God is going to call this prophet, a prophet, someone that was an emissary from God in, in this earth, that it will speak as if God was speaking to, to, uh, to him. So God is going to use the prophet Hosea to talk to the nation of Israel, and he's going to prove a point in one of the most bizarre ways, but also very, very key to what was going on. 
He's going to say to him, and say, you need to marry this woman who's going to turn out to be unfaithful, who's going to turn out to live a life that is going to be against you. She's not going to be for you even though you are her husband. She's going to do things that are going to be against you. She's going to betray you. She's going to sleep around. She's going to be doing all of these crazy things, and you're still going to go and love her, and you're going to redeem her, and you're going to bring her back to you and love her despite of all the shortcomings. And the picture that God was trying to play here is how Israel, and by station extension, you and I, how we are unfaithful to God, that we are constantly doing what is evil. We're constantly doing what opposes God. That even though he has been good to you and good to me, that we still will be willing to do whatever we want to oppose him. And yet, despite of all those things, God is going to find a way to love us and care for us and, in a sense, redeem us. So today we want to start with this question. Have you ever felt defeated? Have you ever felt defeated? Think about that. Have you ever felt defeated? There's a picture here that is, uh, is a, uh, it went viral for a little bit. Uh, some of you got into airdrop, hashtag. Um, if you got on AirPro, you, you, nice. You got Stephen Diggs. He is a wide receiver for the uh, Diggs, uh, a wide receiver for the Buffalo Bills. They were playing on this big tournament, big game against Kansas City. Had they won that game, they would have been going to the Super Bowl. The Bills have never won a Super Bowl. It was a very important game, and in the very last few minutes of the game, they blew it and lost. And there you have it. The entire team of Kansas City celebrating and rejoicing and going crazy. And our man, Stephen Dix, is just watching from the sideline with tears and regret of what could have been. This is the picture of defeat. Defeat is when you think that you can accomplish something. When you think that you are something. When you think that you could do something. And then you fall short of those things and find yourself with nothing in your hands. When we think about the athlete, think about the student, the thing is so smart that he's able to pass the test and he's studying, studying, and, so, and thinking that he's going to kill the exam, and then he fails. That's defeat right there. Think about the guy who thinks he is so street smart. He thinks he can talk through the way. He thinks like he's like Trent, uh, but more like he's actually like Trent, that he goes to a girl and then nothing happens. True story. Uh, 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 yeah, because of the girl. The girl is not, yeah. <laughs> but think about that individual that thinks that he's capable of doing something, and yet he falls short of that, and he's left with nothing. See, when most of us deal with defeat, we deal with defeat is because we're banking on our ability, we're banking on what we can do, and then when those things fall short, what do we do? Now, here's why we're talking, we're asking this question. You and I live in a culture right now that does not like the idea of defeat. In fact, it does not like the idea of talking about defeat. So much so that at one point, it was popular, even though it is still it is today, even though people may not going around saying it, but the, the, uh, the, the theme or the slogan of our society was such that we only wanted good vibes. We don't go around saying those things anymore. Maybe some of you do still, but that was the slogan by intent that we only want positivity. 
We don't want to talk about things that are negative. We don't want to approach or embrace negativity. We don't want to do those things. And so our culture, and by extension, the culture that you're living in, is constantly teaching you that you need to thrive and live in a world where it's only positive. But what do you do when you are defeated? How do you overcome defeat? See, the church, too, has fell into this. That as a church, we only talk about things that are good, things that are only encouraging, things that are only going to make you feel better, make, make you think better, make you, make you think better of yourself and feel better about yourself. And although those things are necessary and, those, and there's a time and place for those things, we will see in the story today that it is in moments of defeat that most of us get to really get a hang of who God is and what he is for us. And as such, we should know and be welcome to times of defeat. We should be receiving of those times, but at the same time, we should not be opposing them. And when they come, when things are being harsh and said here, like last week, I know last message last week was harsh, and it's not something that we typically do, but something like that can get you to a place where you really can open your eyes and recognize who God is and what he's for you. And today we're going to see that. See, uh, in chapter 2, we talked about last week how this woman is going to marry, or how the prophet is going to marry the woman, and she was going to be unfaithful. And in chapter 2, we get to see how God is going to deal with the nation of Israel. And you get, to, you get a clear picture of how harsh God was going to deal with the nation of Israel in chapter 2. And all of that is leading to the premises, which we'll find in verse, in verse 7. In verse 7, he says this. The picture here as Israel being the wife and God being the husband, he says here, the point of everything that is going on, the unfaithfulness of all Israel and why he's punished them, he says in verse 7, she shall pursue her lovers but not overtake them. The nation of Israel will go out and try to get the things that they wanted, but they're not going to get it. And then he says, and she shall seek them, but she shall not find them. She will devote herself to go out and to do all of the different things, searching for, looking for something that she's not going to find. She's going to find herself, in a sense, in a place of desert, in a place of desolation, where there's nothing for them. And then he says this, Then she shall say, I will go and return to my first husband, for it was better for me then than now. Look at that phrase right there. The picture here of Hosea and his wife and how she's going to go out, going from one man, from the other man to the other man, thinking that that will fulfill her, that that will make her feel better, that that will, re- that that will give her purpose, value. And then she's going to come to a realization when she's all less or, or, or when she's all alone that none of those things were able to give her the very thing that she was looking for. And so in that moment of defeat, her eyes are going to be open and she's going to return to her husband, Hosea. Same thing with the nation of Israel. They were going to go out and search for things and look for things and try to accomplish things in the world, but none of those things were capable of giving to to them what they were looking for. And so their eyes were going to be open, and they were going to go back to their first love, God. Not you and me, how you and I, can try to get, achieve and get things in this world, and we go out and out and out, and we go from one person to the next person, from one thing to the next thing, thinking that those things will be able to give us what we want. And then 
we realize that they don't and deliver us in a place of defeat. What do you do when you're defeated? In the story, we're going to be we're going to see here that there are two things that you need to understand when it comes to defeat being defeated. Number 1, if you're unfaithful, unfaithfulness always leads to a place of defeat. Unfaithfulness always leads to a place of defeat. If you're unfaithful, it is just a matter of time you will be defeated. And then at the same time, only the love of God can take you out of a, from a place of defeat to a place of triumph. Those two things. These are the two things that I really want you to understand. If you're unfaithful to God, sooner or later, you're going to be defeated. And only the love of God can bring you out of that place of defeat. Not yourself, not your friends, not your family. Only the love of God can bring you out of that place of defeat. And so we're going to read in verses 14 and 23. I'll read through them. You don't have to, but they'll be on the screen. And as we read through this, what I want you to to see the story was developing and how it's going on here. And then we're going to talk about what happens when you're defeated. What does God love does for you when you're in a place of defeated? And why being defeated is not such a terrible thing. And I would even argue that if you've never been in a place of defeated, you should want and pray for a place of defeated. Because then in that moment that you really get to sense the love of God for you. All right. Verse 14. It says this. Therefore, behold... I will allure her. This is talking after he said what he was going to do and how he's going to punish them. Now he's going to talk to them about how he's going to bring her back to himself. Speaking of the nation of Israel. Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her her vineyards and make the valley of anchor a door of hope. And there she shall answer as in the days of her youth, as the day when she came out of the land of Egypt. And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband, and no longer will you call me my Baal. For I will remove the names of the Baals from her mouth, and they shall remember remember by name no more. And I will make them a covenant on that day with the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the creeping things of the ground. And I will abolish the bow, the sore, and war from the land, and I will make you lie down in safety." And I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice and in steadfast love and in mercy. And I will betroth you to me in faithfulness. And you shall know the Lord. And in that day I will answer, declares the Lord. I will declare. Actually, I'll save that for later. But we'll, we'll stop at verse 20. So here's what's happening. God is now saying to the nation, to prophet what's going to happen with the nation of Israel, that the nation of Israel being so rebellious and being so unfaithful, he's going to deal with judgment, but he's not going to leave them in a place of defeat. He's going to attend to them, and he's going to bring them out of their defeatness, a place of defeat. And so here's how God deals with you and me when we are undefeated, and we can get to see this. Number one, he will deal with us in such a way we tenderly, he tenderly takes you to a place of remembrance and speaks to your heart. This is one of the things that happen when you are in a place of defeated. He will take you to a place of remembrance and speaks to your heart. Here we see in, the, in verses uh, 18 or 14, he talks about how he takes the nation of Israel and will take them back to a place of desert, meaning when they went back and God was providing day and night. When you find yourself in a place of defeat, God will speak to your heart and bring you to a place of remembrance. 
I'd shared with this before when uh, last year, last year when uh, we were uh, delivering, Al or when Jenny was delivering Alessi, our youngest daughter, it went great. The baby came out. She came out healthy. We were rejoicing. And then three days later, we found out that she had COVID. And we had to go to the ER. And at the ER, the doctors and everybody were not giving us much hope. We were genuinely thinking that we were going to lose our baby. And we're sitting here in the ER. Now we're put into this special room for, for, for high emergencies. She's all hooked up. And we're watching all of these things. And there I am laying us to that helpless with nothing that I can do about this. Broken and defeated. And what did it for me, what brought me out of that moment was that at the most random time, when I was alone, bitter, and angry at God, I chose for whatever reason to start playing Spotify. And the sun, the goodness of God, started playing. And that sun right there brought me to a place of remembrance. And there's a phrase that says, that says you have been faithful all my life. And in my head, I kept thinking, you have been faithful all my life. Why would you stop now? See, I was lost in my, selfish, in my selfish ability. I was lost in what I was capable of. But that moment of brokenness, God used it to bring me to a place of remembrance. That don't happen when you are doing so well. When you are doing well, when you are thriving, when you are enjoying life as it is, those things don't happen because you are loving it. It happens in face of defeat when you are alone. When you are helpless. Number two, he will restore you to what you were meant to be. See, when you're defeated, you're not supposed to stay there defeated. So God will bring you back and restore you to what he's meant to be. And you get to see in the next few verses where he's going to talk. I don't know if you remember a few weeks or last week when we talked about how harsh it was that he was telling the nation of Israel, you're not longer my husband. I'm not longer your husband. I'm not in longer in a relationship with you. And in this picture, we see that God is going to deal with the nation of Israel in such a way that will restore them to that place of where he's saying to them, now I am going to be your husband. Number three, you see that he will mend that, along with that, he will mend the broken relationship. Because when you and I get to a place of defeat or, or brokenness, most of the chance, most of the time, it's because there is something that we're doing that is messing that relationship with God. Not always, but sometimes when we get to a place of brokenness, there is something that you and I are doing that is leading us to that place. Maybe it's sin. Maybe our own selfishness. Maybe it's the thought that we think that we can accomplish things on our own. Nonetheless, when you are in a place of brokenness, chances are that your relationship with God is not the way that it's supposed to be. And in that moment, when God is opening your eyes, when he's reminding you of who he is and how he has been to you, and he's mending that relationship, he would also fix what is broken and take you to a place that it was supposed to be. Number four, he will give you peace and assurance. I love what he says here in verse 19, and I will be, uh, in verse 19 or 18, and I will make them a covenant on that day with the beasts of the field, the, the birds of the heavens, and the creeping things on the, of the earth. And I will abolish the bow, the sword, and war from the land, and I will make you lie down in safety. He's saying to them and to the nation, hey, because I am bringing you out of where you, where, because I'm bringing you out of the wilderness, because I'm bringing you out in a place of danger, I'm going to bring you and I'm going to make a commitment that all of those things that have the power to attack you, to get to you, to destroy you, I will make peace with those things so that you're safe. 
And in the same way, when you're in a place of brokenness and you really get to sense the love of God for you and how he cares for you and what he has done for you, and that relationship that was once broken is now being redeemed and mended, you now have an opportunity to really sense what peace feels like. That in a world like ours that there's not much peace, you get to grasp peace and understand that you can have the, 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 the assurance that in God, all things work for good. That what this world means for evil, he, God meant it for good. And then number five, will you, it will give you a fresh start to grow deep in your relationship. I love this because when you think about a moment of brokenness, you can either stay there broken and stay defeated, or you can get up and try again. And this guy, Stephen Diggins, we saw at the beginning of this year, he came back, or, and he's been on fire. There's been some games that he hasn't been so well, but he's been on fire because he's determined to not have to be on the same spot that he was last year. He wants to win a Super Bowl this year. That's the idea of the fit. It gives you an opportunity to start over again. And when it comes to your relationship with God, if things that led you to that place of defeat, call it sin, call it your own selfishness, call it your struggles, call it whatever, you now are going to have an opportunity to start new. I love what he says here in verse 19, and I will betroth you to me forever. This was the one that was unfaithful, that was out and about, doing, devotedly doing the things that oppose to God. And he's saying, I'm going to go and marry you forever. And regardless of what happens, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice and in steadfast love and in mercy. I'm going to marry you in such a way that for those four things will be present in our relationship. He's saying, steadfast love, righteousness, love, and mercy. All of those things will be present in our relationship because I care and love about you. And that's what God is saying to this nation that once, at one point was unfaithful in doing everything that opposed him. But in this renewed opportunity, he's giving them a chance to live the life that they were supposed to live. When you and I are in a place of brokenness and God brings us out of that, you and I have an opportunity to live a life in the way that we're supposed to live by embracing the opportunity that we have to grow in this new chance that we have with him. And we're going to take, get that in a second. But I love all of, all of those things because if you remember last week, if you remember last week how harsh he was and the things he said, he says, I'm not going to be your husband. I'm not going to be your people. Don't, I'm, I'm, you're going to have a son and you're going to call them Jezreel, which means destruction. You're going to have, uh, I'm going to have named your other son, no mercy. You're going to say the others, you're going to have named your other kid, not my people. And he's trying to prove this point to them, this harsh point that he was done with them. And look how his redeeming love does when he brings them out of a place of defeat. He says in verse 21, and, I, and in that day, I will answer, declares the Lord. I will answer the heavens, and they shall answer the earth. And the earth shall answer the grain, the wine, and the oil, and they shall answer Jezreel. And I will sow her myself in the land. And I will have mercy on no mercy. And I will say to no my people, you are my people. And he shall say, you are my God. That is what the redeeming love of God does to you and me. And all of this is best demonstrated in what Jesus did for us on the cross. And every week we're going to go back to that. Because when you are living a life in sin, 
whether you have believed in the message of the gospel or not, when you're living a life in sin, you're always going to end up in a place of defeat. Unfaithfulness always leads you to a place of defeat. Whether you're a Christian or not, you will end there. But praise be to God that he did not deal with us in the way that we deserve. See, the Bible tells me and you that we are going to live in such a way that we deserve the condemnation, that the penalty of sin is death, that we are not his people, that we don't deserve, no, that our name is no mercy. And yet, while we were dead in our sin and on our trespass because of his great love for us, in which he loved us in Christ, he allows you and me to be forgiven. That in that moment of defeat, he tenderly speaks to you, speaks to your heart, reminds you of who he is. That he walks, works his way to mend what was broken. That relationship that was broken by sin, he works his way to fix it by dying on the cross for your mistakes and my mistakes. That for those of you that are wanting to get out of that moment of defeat, through his son Jesus, you have an opportunity to start fresh. You have an opportunity to get up and live the life that you were supposed to live. Knowing that he is devoted to you. In that, like he says to the nation of Israel, I have betrothed you in selfless love, in justice, in mercy, and in righteousness. And by extension, those things have been given to you and me through his son, Jesus. What do you do when you are defeated? Do you stay defeated? Or will you take advantage of the things that God can do for you in that moment of defeat. Like I said, we cannot be naive to the world that we live in. It's a world that is not good vibes only. There are going to be moments of defeat. If you haven't had any yet, you will. What will you do in those moments? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to be here and be able to open your word. Father, I do pray that if there's anyone that today may find themselves in a place of defeat, that you will encourage them, Lord, that you will speak to their heart, Lord. You know what every single one of us in this room are dealing with, Lord. And I pray that just like you say to the nation of Israel, how tenderly you will speak to them, Lord, that you will speak to us, Lord, and bring us to a place of remembrance. Father, I pray that we will pursue after you, that for those of us that have believed in you, Lord, that we would not forget who you are, Lord, and that we will pursue after you. And, Father, if there's anyone here today that does not know you, we pray, Lord, that you will give them an opportunity to understand what you have done for them, Lord, and that without you they're certainly going to be defeated if they're not there already. And so, Father, we pray for them that they will come out of a place of defeat, defeat uh, being defeated by trusting in your son, Jesus. We pray this in your, in your name, Lord. Amen. All right, guys, thank you so much for coming, and good morning in city.